Missionary Aid, Missionary Aid International, uh, Missionary Enterprises, got it upside down, in association with Bujiri, not Bugiri, Bujiri Pentecostal Church in Bujiri, Uganda, Africa. So we've already done some videos for some other brothers in Bujiri. And so this was uh, another brother, and uh, he'd been bugging me for the longest time. Uh, when are we going to do a Zoom? When are we going to do a Zoom? When are we going to do a Zoom? So I said, okay, well, let's do it. And at least it'll be done for the next month uh, for the videos that we're doing at this time. So the topic is salvation. And this was actually for a sister in uh, Fort Portal, Uganda, and uh, she couldn't make it. And uh, that was two people I was supposed to do online teachings for. And at the last minute, they could not make it. So anyhow, so salvation. But we're going to look at it from something very different a little bit today. And not relying on my past notes or anything like that, like I said in the other video. So the word salvation a big is a big buzzword. And it should be in the Christian church. Yet far too many Christians don't know how to walk in their own salvation. Or how to appropriate what Jesus has accomplished, done for us at the cross. And I was one of them. All right. Years ago, I was one of those. All right. Saved as 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 they come, and I'll tell you, holy and blameless and walking in that, I mean, to, to a great degree compared to a lot of other people. But boy, oh boy, there's just so much more that God had in mind. This is what this teaching will be all about. Okay, so let's look at this, all right, from a little bit from a different perspective, all right? So most, if not all, Pentecostal preachers <laughs> have been ordained from some Pentecostal Bible school. Therefore, they should be familiar to some degree with the original languages of the Bible. They should be, all right? So anyhow, so we just looked at real quickly here, two, cre two key Greek power words. We all know these. We have the word sozo, all right? And we're going to put that up there, but I'm not going to go through it. We got the word sozo, and then the number two, we have the word soteria. And of course, soteria, uh, like I said, scholars, they're familiar with that regarding the doctrine of soteriology, all right? or the doctrine of salvation, absolutely. All right, so we're not gonna go look into that right now. We're gonna keep going and move on because this is a kind of a, a, this was a long one, all right? I was with them for almost an hour. And uh, so the mention of the word salvation immediately tells us that we need to get saved or be saved from what, uh, be saved from what or be saved from something or from who or from someone or both. And according to the Bible, it's from both, all right? And this is what we'll be looking at today. We're saved from something and we're saved from someone, all right? So as already mentioned in some of the definitions of the original languages, the idea of salvation carries the broad spectrum of definitions such as saved salvation from the wrath of God, the judgment of God, uh, especially the great white throne judgment, eternal hell, the lake of fire, B, self, uh, the old man, sin, C, the devil, demons, D, error, falsehood, um, E, unbelief, wrong believing, ignorance, and F, sickness and disease regarding divine healing. All right? All right, so let's look at, let's start with A. Let's start with A regarding the wrath and judgment of God regarding being saved from that. All right? So Ephesians 2.3 says here, Among these we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, obeying the impulses of the flesh, the thoughts, the mind, our cravings, uh, 
Uh, we were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind, right? We were once, all right? So very clear, we got the word once lived, were then like the rest. We were at one time not born again, all right? No one is born born again, all right? You need to get born again. Not living for God, but because of this salvation, we are no longer living like the heathens, or we should not be anyhow, no longer in union with the first Adam, but in union with the second Adam, the last Adam, the new Adam. No longer of the world, yet still in the world. And this is why we have Romans 12 too, since we still have Christians who are still conforming to this world, the world of the first Adam, because they have not given themselves over to mind renewal regarding their transformation into the image of God's firstborn son, the second Adam. Just because you're still in the world does not mean you need to conform to it, all right? Just because the world is surrounding you doesn't mean you have to let it get inside of you. No, 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 you're supposed to influence them, all right? But instead, we should be changing it, the world, via the Great Commission. Why would you want to conform to the world of the first Adam when you're no longer of that world? Okay, beats me. All right. Stop thinking like the world by thinking like Jesus so that you can act like Jesus. And that's where the world is going to get saved. All right. Through the Great Commission. First Thessalonians 1.10. What do we save from here? And how you look forward to and wait, uh, wait the coming of the Son, His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. Jesus raised us from the dead with Him. Jesus, who personally rescues and delivers us out of from the wrath, bringing judgment, which is coming upon the impenitent and draws us to himself. See, there you go. We're saved from the wrath of God. Man, I'll tell you, you know, a lot of people don't, they don't, they don't have that working in their mindsets. And that's why they live the way they live. They live a carnal life. They live a life of un ungratefulness. All right. Note, as Christians, we should all know by now that there is a specific judgment for the sinner as well as specific judgment for the saint. And God is trying to get as many sinners as possible out of the great white throne judgment and into the judgment seat of Christ via the great commission, the new birth, for obvious reasons, all right? We all deserve the great white throne judgment, the lake of fire, absolutely, which is why Jesus came. The moment you are born again, you are delivered from the great white throne judgment unless you end up walking away from your Savior and his salvation before you die, and hopefully you won't, but... The Bible is very clear about that, all right? Uh, there are different branches of Pentecostal churches throughout the world, yet I could be wrong, but I don't think that most Pentecostal churches teach eternal security, once saved, always saved. I don't think so, but some do, and it really goes against what the Word really has to say about it. We're just going to touch on this a little bit here, and we already did a little bit. Walking away from your Savior. When you walk away from Him, you're walking away from your salvation, right? So 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not appointed us to incur his wrath. He did not select us to condemn us. That's right. But that he might obtain his salvation, that we might obtain his salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God, it's not as God's will for, for us to uh, experience his wrath and all that. No, no, no. But he has no choice because of the sin, right? 
We still have far too many in church circles that don't believe in the wrath of God because of the love of God, John, uh, John 3.16, and so many more. But what about the other side of the coin, his other attributes, all right? God does not like nor love sin, and neither do I, absolutely not, even in my own life, all right? It repulses me, all right? God hates sin because of what it has done and does and is doing to human beings, all right? We're destroying one another, but we've destroyed our relationship with God because of sin, but we are destroying one another. We're killing each other. My goodness, look what we're doing with abortions and different like that. That's all based, that's all founded or finds its origins in the sin, in the sin. It's all sin. They don't see it that way, but they will one day. 2 Thessalonians 2.12, in order that all may be judged and condemned who did not believe, all right? So God wants us to believe. That's why we're supposed to go out there and preach the gospel. Those who believe, they'll be saved. Those who don't believe, they shall be damned, right? Jesus said himself, right? So there was a time where I did not believe. I did not believe. And the moment I got born again, I became, I became a believer. Wow. All right? So God's will is for all of us to believe and not, not believe in the gospel, his plan of salvation uh, for mankind. Jesus has already positionally saved every human being. Therefore, what is left is for them to believe what he's already done for them at the cross. All right? Some still believe in what is called limited atonement compared to unlimited atonement. There are consequences to what we believe or don't believe. And in this context, if the sinner does not receive by believing the gospel, that same sinner will have to pay for his own sin, which will take him all of eternity in the lake of fire compared to the three days and nights that it took Jesus to accomplish his salvation. Powerful, powerful. There are two sides to the gospel, as in good news as well as bad news. The gospel has good news for those who believe it, yet it also has bad news for those who don't believe it. Revelations 20.15 And if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, he was hurled into the lake of fire. Not good at all. If you can't get into, if you can't get into heaven, which will be your own fault, there is only one other place for you to go, which will be the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a type of resort, which usually has a lake. All resorts, usually they have a lake, some kind of lake, even a man-made lake of some kind. But I would not want to spend one split second in this type of resort, all right, where there is a lake of fire, not even close to it, all right? So let's move on to B here, number B, uh, regarding self, being saved uh, from self, the old man, I put in parenthesis here, it's self-deliverance, delivering yourself from the old self, from the old man. Romans 6, 6, for we know that the old or old man uh, was nailed at the cross with him, all right, in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be the slaves of sin, but slaves to righteousness, right? Okay, great, that's good news, all right? Note, when Jesus was crucified, and everything else that took place before the cross, after the cross, we were crucified with him. And in this context regarding the old man, Romans 6, 6 here, 
Paul is referring to, what Paul is referring to is not the same old man he also mentioned in Ephesians 4.22, causing some to say that he's contradicting himself. The Apostle Paul is contradicting himself. No, no, no. Which is not because of our need to understand 1 Thessalonians 5.23 regarding the trichotomy of man. In other words, once the first old man has been dealt with, then there will be another old man <laughs> to deal with, which will be our responsibility at that time and not God. But he already tells us what to do and he's there to help us, but he can't do it for you. Mm -hmm. There are no contradictions in the Bible, yet full of paradoxes. If anybody contradicts, yes, the Bible was written by man, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. But if there's anybody who contradicts the word of God, it's man. All right, and not God. All right. So, First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, five fourteen, five fifteen, and He died for all, so that all those who might live, live no longer to and for themselves. That's deliverance. That's sozo, uh, but to and for Him who died and was raised again for their sake. Note, from the day I got saved, I would never wanted to live for myself, but to live for the one who changed my whole life. All right, on that great day in Drummondville, Quebec. 1994 and much later on i found out that he jesus wanted to live his life in and through me we still have far too many christians who are still living for themselves i soon discovered that i was surrounded by christians who were all caught up with themselves as i attended all kinds of churches catholics baptists pentecostals non-denominational charismatic uh, word of faith churches all kinds yeah I could not find anyone who wanted to die to self, meaning I could not find any good friends, all right? They're all caught up with themselves and doing this and doing that, nothing about evangelism, nothing about prayer, walk, prayer walk, stuff like that, all right? Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, regarding being uh, delivered from, from the old man or how to deliver yourself from the old man. Uh, verse 22 to 24, strip yourselves of your former nature, put off and discard your old man, which characterize your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion and be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, mind renewal. Put on the new nature, put on the new man, uh, create in God's image, God-like in true righteousness and holiness. So we have no excuses, all right? When we get to heaven and we say, well, my old man gave me a hard time. Well, God, Jesus is going to say, well, read my word. You know, it's not time to find out what to do about the old man once you're there. you got to find out what to do about him once you're down here and get at it right away. Back to what I had said previously regarding Romans 6.6. 6. And even when it comes to this, putting on regarding the new man, it is also mentioned regarding the armor of God. Put on the, the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, meaning the new man and the full armor of God is the same thing. It's the same person, all right? Christ Jesus is the armor. He's the full armor. And he's also the new man of God, the new Adam. He's the firstborn. And this put on, put on, has to do with the mind as well as the soul, all right? Anytime God tells you to do something, usually it has to do with your mind or your soul when it comes to meditating the word, confessing the word, fasting, praying in tongues, all these different things like that. The more you renew your mind with new creation realities regarding who and what we are in Christ, as well as who Christ is, is when you are beginning to put on the new man, put on Christ, put on the full armor of God. You will begin to think, believe, and act like the new man, like Christ the firstborn, which is when we will see the four, the four gospels come to life once again on planet Earth. 
the life and ministry of Jesus being put on display for the whole world to see, since he, Jesus, is the prototype, don't want to get into that now, he's the prototype of God's new creation, Colossians 1.18 and Romans 8.29. James 1.21, regarding the old man, so get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness, and in a humble spirit receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted uh, contains the power to save your soul regarding uh, the unsaved soul, the unrenewed mind. So that saved soul, the unsaved soul needs to get saved, the unrenewed mind needs to get renewed. All right. Note, the soul of the Christian needs to undergo salvation, deliverance, via the sown word as a seed of mustard. And this is written to saints. This was written to saints and not sinners. So my question is this, what would happen if a saint keeps on living in a state of uncleanness uh, and wickedness in context with once saved, always saved? Mm, really? I don't think so. Uh, I would not want to find out. What about Romans 12 too? What about Ephesians 4, 22? What about the epistle to the Hebrews, also known as the epistle of warnings, written to the saints and not to the sinners? All right, we are in this dispensation of grace, yes, which applies to the saints, as well as giving saints all kinds of opportunity to repent, change their mind via mind renewal, metanoia. The Bible is full of warnings towards Christians regarding walking away from their sa Savior and walking away from Him, you're walking away from your salvation because He is the author of your salvation. And in doing so, losing your salvation. All right, so let's move on to part C regarding the devil and his demons. Luke 9, 1. Then Jesus called Himself together, uh, the twelve, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. But let's look at the demon part here. We have the very same exousia and dunamis that Jesus had, including his disciples, to get the same work done today. And we have the right to use this power towards demons for ourselves as they try to attack you for doing the right things. Some Christians open the door to demonic activity by living wrong, yet others, like me, get attacked for going forward and doing the will of God. I mentioned my experience with the spirit of the pythons, really Acts 16, 16. I shared with the brothers how the Lord had to wake me up in the middle of the night and uh, told me to go down to the bottom of the steps. Uh, we got the side door there and he said, you rebuke that thing in my name because if you don't, that thing is going to come into your house and he's going to wreak all kinds of havoc. I went down there. I rebuked it. I saw in the vision, I saw a python wrapped around the door. And when I got down there, I didn't see nothing, but I saw it before I went down there in a vision. And then I knew the minute I, I rebuked it in the name of Jesus, I knew that it was gone. So the Holy Spirit or some angel removed it for me, all right, in the spirit realm. You will encounter some kind of opposition when you are determined to go forward in what God has called you to be and do, and it can get pretty nasty at times. Oh, yeah. Not only with the devil, with the people that you're surrounded with, but anyhow... And even yourself, sometimes you get nasty, but you repent and you change your mind and you keep going forward on the path of mortification transformation. Luke 10, 19, behold, pay attention. I've given you authority and power to trample upon serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy possessed and nothing shall in any way harm you. See, we're delivered. We can be delivered from these things. God has given us his power for us to exert over all of the power of the enemy. 
yet we still have some who say that the enemy has no power over believers since he was stripped of his power at the cross, Colossians 2, 13-15. Yet this is a wrong, erroneous interpretation. But also, that if this was true, which it's not, why would God command us, not just tell us, but he commands us, imperatives, uh, to resist the devil, put on the full armor of God, James 4, Ephesians 6, 1 Peter 5, etc. It's heresy. It's heresy. The devil has no power over believers. The devil has power over believers. All right? That's the heresy that the devil has no power over believers. Yes, he does. He's got lots of power, and I'm seeing it all the time. Let's move on to Ephesians 6, 11. Put on God's whole armor. There we go again. Uh, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. Wow, he's got strategies and deceits? Absolutely. All right. Some people say that Paul was wrong, yet they are the ones who are wrong in saying Paul was wrong. Many instances when it comes to put on regarding something the saint has to do, and if not, the saint will be in big trouble, big trouble. What will happen if you don't put on the full, full armor of God or if you don't resist the devil? right? The Bible says, because he's going around like a roaring lion out to devour. Well, if you don't resist him in faith, he's going to devour you, you know? The devil will not flee, but instead devour you in all kinds of ways. I mean, he's got all kinds of ways to devour us, all right? And one of the ways is sickness and disease, all right? Or poverty, lack, different things like that. Let's move on to part D regarding being saved from error and falsehood. What the Bible says about that, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered them, be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving you, and leading you into error. He tells us beforehand. It's not like he kept that a secret to himself. No. Uh, this is one, this, this no one, so he said no one, is used many times in the Bible, and one of the errors we just touched on was regarding the devil having been stripped of his power. That's a huge error, all right? That's a false teaching. People end up blaming God for not protecting them and for the devil having power over them because they've not been taught, because they've been taught wrong by some pastor, some book, some TV preacher on the internet, whatever, even some Bible schools. Most of what I teach is in conjunction with my calling as an apostolic reformer and defender of the faith. And that's why I go so ballistic. I just see red when I hear false doctrine, all right? When I come across error. The spirit of truth, uh, the spirit the spirit of truth, Jesus the truth, thy word is truth and not error. He's not the spirit of error. Jesus is not the error. He's the truth, all right? Ephesians 4, 14. So then... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro between chance gusts of teachings and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine, uh, the prey of cunning and cleverness among unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in shifting, every shifting form of trickery, and in inventing error to mislead. Not good. This is in the church. Even in the natural, children are so gullible to the point where they believe whatever they are told since they are just growing up learning right from wrong. And these unscrupulous men mentioned here are in our local churches, tricking and misleading God's children because they've not grown up into their sonship. And that goes for the men, too, who have not grown up into their sonship. Children don't know any different. Shepherds are called to make sure God's children go up. So we got to protect, all right? As a shepherd, uh, as a leader, whatever, you got to protect, all right? 
And one of the ways you protect them is not always telling them, well, this is right, this is wrong. No, they need to learn that for themselves eventually because you're not always going to be with them. All right. It's like children, right? So you got to put the right things inside of them so that when they're out there at school or in the world, whatever, when they move out of the house, they have the work, they'll have the right things working in them instead of the, the wrong things working in them. All right. Because the wrong things will end up working against you. All right. Colossians 2 4. I say this in order that no one, here we go again, no one may mislead you and delude you by plausible and persuasive and attractive arguments, mm, attractive arguments and beguiling speech. Some of these TV preachers, I mean, not just TV, but a lot of these preachers, they're surely attractive, aren't they? I'll tell you, they sound good, they look good, they smell good, yet what comes out of their mouth stinketh, it's full of error. No one, not even one person. So when Jesus, Paul says no one, he means no one, all right? So uh, let's move on to part E regarding being saved from unbelief, wrong believing, ignorance. Matthew 17, 14 to 21, but we're only going to look at 17, 19, and 20. Jesus answered and said, Oh, you unbelieving, uh, yeah, how long am I to remain with you? Uh, 19, then the disciples came to Jesus and asked privately, Why could we not drive it out? He said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith all right so we are delivered from little faith we are we can't we don't have to live in little faith we don't have to live in unbelief we don't have to live in ignorance at all because the word tells us what to do about these things that's all part of self-deliverance unbelief little faith wrong believing will get you nowhere with god and that's the way the devil likes it all farmers know this to be true if they're to have some type of crop or harvest they will first need to sow the right seeds to have that specific crop or harvest. Same goes for the Word of God, Luke 8, 11. Very clear. Parables of the sower. Apple trees demand apple seeds. All right? So if you want a harvest of healing, you're going to have to take the Word of God as a seed regarding healing, and you're going to have to start sowing on the inside of you overall. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 regarding ignorance. Now about the spiritual gifts. Uh, Brethren, I do not want you to be misinformed or ignorant. So note here, ignorance and misinformation has caused all kinds of problems in the church over the years, even centuries, starting with what is known as cessationism or the cessationists regarding the gifts of the Spirit, including divine healing, speaking in tongues, etc. Saying all of these have seized their past with the first disciples, hogwash, rubbish. They don't believe in apostles. Oh my goodness. There is so much else to believe, is there not? When we don't believe what God believes, we end up stopping God from working in those specific areas. And that's what we're seeing overall in the church today. All right. Regarding ignorance, again, 2 Corinthians 2.11, to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. So this verse is a perfect example to prove, once again, that the devil has not been stripped of his power. All right? Whatever area you are ignorant or unaware when it comes to the schemes and strategies of the evil one are those very same things he will be using against you and those around you. Knowing your enemy and his strategic weapons is just as important as knowing God and his weapons. If you've been told that the devil has no power over you, you will end up blaming God for the devil and his wiles. Let's move on. I believe this is the last part. F, regarding being saved, sozo, from sickness and disease. Isaiah 53, 5. The whole chapter is awesome. Uh, 
For he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needed to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made old 800 years before Jesus went to the cross. This has nothing to do with spiritual healing like some say. The next verse will prove this once for all. Christians run to the doctor for some ailment, and many times the doctor will say that there is nothing they can do for you, and that's because they are dealing with an unseen foe, a demon of sickness. We need to run, we need to, run to Dr. Jesus and his medicine, his word, all right? So let's go to Matthew 8, 17, which is connected with Isaiah 53, 5. And thus Jesus fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, all right, he himself took uh, our weaknesses and infirmities and bore away our diseases. So it is not a spiritual healing in Isaiah 53, 5. It is a physical healing. Note, the cessationists call themselves believers, but what do they believe? All right, they don't believe a whole lot. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the signs, wonders. They don't believe in tongues. They don't believe in the apostles, prophets. They don't believe in none of that. So what, I mean, these they're called unbelieving believers, and they drive me nuts. They drive me crazy. All right, not really, but anyhow. Matthew 10, 1, last one here. And Jesus summoned to himself his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure all kinds of disease and all kinds of weakness and infirmity. So we've been given the very same power that Jesus had, not only for ourselves if we needed, but to bring healing to the rest of the world. Wow. No matter what the sickness, no matter what the disease, no matter what the infirmity uh, may be, healing is a huge door opener to the gospel, to the cities of nations of continents. God wants to heal every kind of sickness known to mankind because he has already done something about it at the cross. Ooh, positionally. Uh, this is what the Great Commission is all about. Many will turn to Jesus because of this, as they did during his time. Read the four Gospels. How many came to believe in Jesus? How many believed? How many followed Jesus because of what they saw and what they experienced for themselves? All right? So, got to go. And uh, so I want to thank you once again. And I always encourage uh, to uh, walk in the fullness of your sonship by learning how to walk in the fullness of the grace of God and the fullness of the faith of God because it's faith that gives access to the grace of God and it's grace that got your sonship back. In the name of Jesus, shalom and amen.